Welcome to Your Family Dog, a podcast dedicated to helping families love living with dogs. Hi there, and welcome back to Your Family Dog. I'm Julie Fudge-Smith, and I'm here with Tina Spring, just a couple days after her birthday. Happy birthday, Tina. And we were discussing for a long time, before we started this podcast, what did we want to talk about? And we decided one of the issues that we haven't talked about, because we weren't sure, I think, in some ways, how do we wanted to approach it, was politely leash walking or loose lead walking or whatever you want to call it, but getting your dog to walk on the leash nicely. And that is a real challenge. It's not easy. And I think that any trainer who tells you that this is easy peasy is probably, one, either a lot more talented than I will ever be, or two, is really not being honest with you because it's not easy. So what we were going to do is talk today about some of the things that we think you can do to help prepare you for the walk and your dog for the walk. Because we think that there are two components here, is taking care of the person and taking care of the dog. So with that, Tina, what do you want to say? What's the thing that comes to your to mind, first of all, when you think about loose lead walking or polite lead walk, leash walking, which I can't seem to say without stumbling? Not only is it difficult to teach, it's difficult to say. Which is maybe why we don't like to teach it, because we can't say it. <laughs> <laughs> so if you think about it, Polite leash walking and coming when called are kind of all the same skill. Okay. It's all the same thing. It's, It's being in connection with your handler or with your dog, if you are the handler. Um, and so it's a little bit like dancing. So we tell every single person in puppy class, every single basic or foundation class person, the single hardest skill to teach your dog is polite leash walking absolutely the hardest one to teach and and a skill that that honestly takes a really long time to build for a whole host of reasons and yet every single family there they get a dog right and their absolute first thing is we tried to take them for a walk and it was awful that would be like saying okay we brought home an infant and we tried to give them the sat and they failed It's like, well, of course they did because he can't read or talk yet, right? So polite leash walking is a much more difficult and expansive skill than the average person sees. And dog trainers, we're kind of jerks about this because we don't bring our dog, dog out into public until they're already doing it correctly, right? So You don't see our dogs (laughs) until after they're two, and we've trained this skill in. So as I've many decades have worked with families, I've learned that there are some things we can do that can help. So some of this is going to be controversial. Be prepared. First, go for the walk by yourself. If your goal is to ground yourself and get connected with the green and go outside and decompress and get fresh air and get your steps in and do that separate from training the dog. I know that sounds controversial, but do it separate. I agree because for one thing, if you if you really are set on doing like a power walk and really getting your steps in and stuff, you can't do that and provide the right kind of walk for your dog whose purpose behind walking is not to get in all his steps for the day. 
the purpose for a dog's walking is to check out the smells and check out his P-mail and learn all these things about the world. It's his socialization. It's, it's kind of like his Facebook. And you can't rush him through that. So if you really want to do the power walk, do it on your own and have a good time with it. Right. So one, fill you up first, save you first. And then after you're filled up and you're feeling good, grab the string cheese and do three minutes of polite leash walking practice with your dog, where your dog can be successful. That might mean in the hallway or the living room. That might not even be outside because you can't take a skill that the dog doesn't have inside in a fully homogenized environment and port that skill outside into Disneyland for woodland creatures filled with distraction and goofiness and expect your dog to go, oh, yes, I can totally let her in this sport today. Like it doesn't it it doesn't work that way. No, it really doesn't. We talked, I think, in our last episode a little bit about some of the things you can do inside, like loose lead walking with without the leash. We just walk around your house and when your dog comes up to your side, you give it a treat. So he begins to understand that the sweet spot's right next to you. So one of the things I tell people is is once you can do that, do that in different parts of your house. But then when you step outside, where is the least distracting place? It might just be in your garage. It might be in the breezeway between your house and your garage. Maybe it's your back deck. Maybe it's your front porch. Maybe it's your driveway. But don't immediately go out on the street and try practicing this. You need to build in your distractions slowly. Right. I tell lots of families, when you're ready to embark on outside work, outside of your physical property, go walk where no one is out. Sometimes that means going to like an office complex after hours so no one's there. Sometimes that means going and walking in a parking lot. I love parking lots because in general, they don't have that many interesting smells. You know, they don't have the bushes where Sparky and, you know, Samantha and Clementine and all those other dogs have left their P-mail. So parking lots are great, but you do have to be careful that it is an empty parking lot. Right. So, so again, kind of pick where you think your dog is going to be successful. We don't go from teaching our kids at, cat, bat, run, to snuffle up a guest. And that's what we all tend to do as handlers to our dogs. So one of the things I, I talk about with families is unless your dog, if your dog was on a 15 foot long line and all you did was held the handle, could you get and keep your dog's attention? They're not ready to go on a walk yet. And I know that that makes you mad. The reality is polite leash walking is about connection between the dog and the handler. Um, I love Suzanne Clothier's quote that when we start adding equipment, it's because we lost the dog's mind, right? If your dog is in connection with you, you don't need 25,000 different pieces of equipment to physically manage your dog. You know, I had an example of that this morning, believe it or not. Okay, so I've had Zuzu... I got her when she was 16 months old, and now she's six and a half. So anyway, she and I um, walked down to the post office today to check my post office box. We had a grand walk down, and on the way back, at one point, I was fiddling with something in my hand, and the leash dropped, and she trotted into my neighbor's yard, and she sniffed, and I said, hey, 
Zuzu, come on. And she trotted right over next to me. We had about a block to go to get to my house. And I never picked up the lead the rest of the way home. I was like, hey, Zuzi. So she was right next to me. I'd give her a couple of pieces of kibble. We'd walk along. She'd look up at me. I'd give her a couple of more. And it was, well, one, there was no one around. There were no other dogs around. There was no deer. There were no squirrels. There were no cars. But even at six and a half, you know, it's one of those things where it's like I try to push the limits a little bit with her whenever I can to see what we can do. But I always try to do it in an environment where I have the fewest distractions. And she was great. She trotted all the way home with me. She stopped in front of the front porch and I went up the porch and said, come on. She trotted up and, and came on inside. Um, it was just a minor little thing, but it was one of those things where I knew that I could do it partly because Clementine wasn't there and partly because there was nothing else around. So I knew I was in an environment in which I was setting her up to be successful at this. Right. So there were a whole bunch of pieces to that, right? I think about it like, okay, so our children pull up and they learn how to balance. We don't immediately take them hiking Everest. You just have to start slower. And so when I'm working with a puppy, if they stay in connection with me for three seconds, that's a huge win. I release them to go do something fun. When they come back, I'm like, hey, can you do that for two seconds this time? You're brilliant. Off you go. Polite leash walking. The leash part is the least of it. That's just there to keep your dog from getting hit by the garbage truck. It should not be part of how you're controlling your dog. The leash is there purely for safety. That's it. So there should not be any tension on that leash. And I will say, and again, this is going to be me agreeing with Suzanne Clothier. In over 30 years in practice, I have never in my dog training life ever seen a reactive dog who had a leash with no tension on it. Never. I have never seen a dog threaten to axe murder a neighbor's kid on a bike on a loose leash. I have never seen a dog on a loose leash trash talk another dog across the street or in a class. Never. Not one. I think we take too big a bite of the apple. Right. So we have a dog who maybe can sit politely while we're putting the leash on and then we or not. Right. So now you're already chipping a dog off the ceiling of arousal because someone did the do you want to do walkies dance and amped the dog up. We attach a leash to him and then we try to go out the front door and they're nut jobs already. Like they already can't handle the amount of like it's the most exciting thing that's happened in eight weeks. And we're expecting the dog to then immediately settle down and go on a nice, boring walk where they're not allowed to sniff anything. They're not allowed to bark at anybody. And like it's no like that's not that's not how that that's not how that works. Right. And so one of the things that I was going to say is uh, when you're talking about this is we probably need to define a couple of things. So what do we mean by a loose leash? So what I tell people is the leash either looks like a J between you and the dog or a smile. I think Colleen once used that once. She got it from somebody, and I really like that. Your leash should look like a smile between you and your dog. So there should be no tension. The other thing that I find is the beginning of understanding for most owners when we talk about loose lead walking is that I try to explain to them that it's the dog's responsibility to keep the leash loose, not yours. 
what I mean is that if you are walking and your dog is keeping the leash nice and loose, right? But then he pulls forward, I stop because you have now put tension on the leash. And if you put tension on the leash, that means I stop. And as soon as you loosen up and the leash becomes loose again, we move forward. And so in that sense, the dog learns that I control whether we move forward or not by if I keep this leash loose. And then the second reward, so that's the first reward, is if you keep your leash loose, I will move forward with you. The second reward comes with if you come by my side, I'll give you a little treat while we're moving. So we begin to understand to keep the leash loose. And if I'm next to my person, that's where the good things happen. And I found that to be fairly effective. It takes time and it takes patience, but it seems to be pretty effective in getting the dog to understand what's expected of it on the walk. As I'm listening to you, I'm like, yes, that would work great for an already trained adult dog who already kind of knows what the rules of the game are. I don't know that a dog who gets distracted by a squirrel and pulls on their leash knows to take pressure off of the leash and to check in with the handler. I know lots of dogs, including in my own household, that me having a treat would not be compelling if they saw a squirrel, right? That would, they would be like, I don't really care about the treat. I, I care more about like the squirrel. That's when I pre-mac. So for example, when my dog is looking, I did this with Bingley, dog's looking at a squirrel, leash is tense. All he has to do is loosen up and look at me and then the both of us run towards the squirrel. Now, there's no squirrel in Licking County that's in any danger of being caught with me running after it, right? But I, I know that food's not going to work, but pre-MAC will. And the pre-MAC principle, of course, is the um, basically summed up as if you, eat, if you eat your peas, then you get dessert. So basically, you give me what I want, which is I know that you can look at me, right? You do what I want you to do, then I will let you do what you want to do. I also pre-mac a lot when I'm trying to reduce the amount of food, for example, in training. You want to go outside, you need to sit at the door. As soon as you sit, I'll open the door to let you out into the backyard. That's also a pre-mac, right? Because you're giving me what I want, which is a sit and the semblance of being calm. I'll give you what you want, which is for me to open the door. Another example is, I know you want your dinner. You need to do what I want you to do. You need to either sit or lay down, give me some sort of calm behavior and hold it while I put your food down then you can eat. So I think that the use of behavior can also be incredibly important in, in teaching some of this stuff. I don't disagree. My experience is that the only people who do that are dog trainers, that families are just trying to get their life done, right? So they're like, okay, dog trainer, well, that's all well and good. But if I stand there while my dog is staring at the squirrel, I'm going to be standing there until the squirrel goes to bed at night and then my dog's going to check in. What I have attempted to do is to break things down for families first by saying, don't go on a walk. Do not go on a walk. Instead, practice polite leash walking for seven days in this microcosm. Go for your walk by yourself. Leave the dog home. Don't take the dog. And then practice this for seven days and then go for the walk. So kind of Literally, like when you've done this seven days and you've been successful, then move on to the next step. Now, I know they're going to go on a walk. So that's when we talk about school clothes versus play clothes, right? So most of us were raised with we had church or school or work clothes, and then we have, you know, play in the garden clothes. You can do the same thing for your dog. So 
most people who come to me are bringing their pulling dogs on harnesses. I make harnesses play clothes. So if the dog is on a harness, he can pull like a fool and I'm not going to worry about it. We're just going on our, our trudge around the block where everybody's mad at everyone else. But when we are going to focus on walking nicely on a leash, that's going to happen on a different piece of equipment. That makes a certain amount of sense. I like that. So I try to separate out the skills because I, I don't know anyone who has a very young puppy who has polite leash walking skills. I, I agree. I agree. But I think also, too, you're right. People are going to go for a walk because they're going to say, I need to exercise the dog. I can't keep the dog cooped up all the time. And that's when I say, well, I'm not telling you not to play with your dog. I'm telling you not to go for a long walk. You can go for, and when, and when we're working on loose lead walking, what I tell people is, look, don't try for a 45-minute walk. It is simply not going to work. Loose lead walking is intense and it's tiring. And I'd rather have you break that down into short walks where you're more likely to be successful. So what I tell people is, is exercising your dog and walking your dog are not necessarily the same things. You can go out in the backyard and throw a ball for your dog. We've got a park that's like two houses down. I'll take the dogs down there, let them off their leash. They can run around the park all they want. You know, so there's lots of options for exercising your dog. And you can do a lot of mental exercises. Like one of the things I used to do on, on rainy days, like with Bingley's, he was great. I could show him a toy. This We worked up to this point, but I started out with me showing him a toy. And then I put it behind me and I was like, oh, Bingley, where is it? And he had to find it and bring it back to me. And then we started doing, I'd go around the counter until pretty soon I could hide it anywhere in my three-story house and he could find the toy. And that was great because that was both mental and physical exercise because he's, he's tearing all around the house. And if I was doing it with both dogs, Hudson, the golden retriever, and Bingley, the flat coat, I would show them each their toy and we would hide them. And if Bingley found Hudson's, we'd say, Mm-mm, that's Hudson's, go find your toy. And he could do that. So, I mean, that's something that we really built up to, but it was a way in which we could give exercise and mental stimulation to the dogs without having to necessarily go for a walk. Right. So where I would say is when we're transitioning skills to outside for leash walking, right? You have the dog who, okay, anywhere in the house, we can do polite leash walking. Dog doesn't pull. They stay in connection with me. There's not a ton of distraction except, you know, normal life stuff. Then typically the next step is adding in transitions. So can we go in and out of the doors and keep our marbles in our skulls? Because that's that's tough. And the, the easiest way I've ever seen to work on that is food scatters. Have the dog pause at the door, food scatter on the front stoop. Dog eats those pieces, little itty bitty pieces of shredded cheese. You're like, you're a brilliant dog. They look to you almost immediately for, hey, have you got any more of that? And I got, by the way, I absolutely do. Excellent check-in, food scatter inside the door. That's very clever. I like that. Very clever. Yeah, and you could do it with just their dog food. Sure. Like, again, this is one of the steps. If you spend five days going, when we go in and out of a door, there's going to be a food scatter on either side, but you have to take a momentary break, take a breath, between we go in and out of the door, instead of getting a dog who's driving out the door to chase a squirrel or the neighbor's kid, you get a dog whose attention is going out of the door and looking down. And then the next thing they're doing is checking in with you. That's brilliant. That's so easy and so brilliant. I love that. Yes. And it's fun. And you, 
And you know what? You had to feed the dog anyway. That's right. So you're just using their intake of food as enrichment and to build the skills you want. And then eventually it's like, can you go down one step? Like, can you go out the door and one step and a food scatter and then back in? Then three steps, then up and down the driveway. Well, guess what? Eventually we're going, well, the food scatter is going to happen at the neighbor's mailbox. And your dog is building on, oh, so if I stay engaged with you, randomly, reinforcement's going to happen. And when you're practicing that going in and out, if your dog is looking for food, they're not thinking about squirrels. They're not. Build the focus you want first. Then when we start to do polite leash walking, like, it's easy. It's easy to do. So... I get the people who say, well, you know, I live in an apartment complex and we don't have a fence and the dog has to go outside and potty. Great. Then spend your time working on where your potty area is going to be, the quickest way to get there, and just focus on that and walk back and forth to the potty area for your 30 minutes of polite leash walking if that's what you're going to do. But build it mindfully. Like, can the dog take one step at a time? If you're trying to build polite leash walking by going for a three-mile walk around the block, you're going to be miserable. You are. And and your dog's going to be miserable, too. One of the things that I talk to families about is how much time do you spend outside with your dog on a leash just waiting for them to check in? Well, that's a very good question. And I bet you they they can't tell you that. No, because they're always either going to the car or like they're doing something. And so their dog doesn't really ever get to practice being in the yard on a leash in connection with their handler. So that's part part of the plan for how to start conditioning polite leash walking. It's why this is so complex. Everybody wants there to be a magic piece of equipment or a magic exercise to do. And there are definitely some pieces of equipment that make it easier. There's definitely some exercises that make it easier. But you can't work all of the things at the same time. It's too hard. And so then families lose heart and stop doing it. Right, which is one of the reasons why when I'm starting classes or I start with people, one of the things that, that I do before we even get started on loosely walking is we do relationship building exercises. I do things to help the owners and the dogs build a relationship so that the dog learns to check in with the owner. And your park and pay is one of the things that we do because the dog begins to understand that no matter what's going on around me, I should be checking in with my owner. So park and pay is one of the things that we do. But there's all kinds of little things you can do. Like, for example, when I'm working on teaching calm, what I tell people is this is, for a lot of people, the most important behavior. So what you want to do is reward your dog for coming to you, whether you have asked them to or not. So, for example, every time Zuzu comes up to me, she gets a piece of me. She doesn't always get a treat, but she gets all high Zuzos and a scratch behind the ears or whatever, because I want that connection to my dog. And so as the more you build the relationship and the connection to your dog, the more your dog's going to want to be connected to you. And that will help in your loose lead walking. Yeah, because it's all the same skill. I will tell you, the people that I have 
whose dogs are on crazy tight leashes, their dogs would also not come when called outside. Yes. Yes, I agree. I agree. And, and, and their dogs won't even come when they're called inside. One of the biggest problems with that, I think, is because people make a mistake as to what a reward and a punishment are so that they inadvertently punish their dogs for coming to them. So, for example, it could be you call, oh, Fifi, come here, sweetheart, come here, what a good dog. And you whisk, you pick her up and you whisk her up and you throw her into the bathtub, which Phoebe doesn't want to do. So now Phoebe's like, if I come to her, is she going to throw me in the bathtub? Or the dog's outside in the yard and you're getting frustrated and you really need the dog to come and I'm going to be late for work. And it's like, finally, you're here, get in the house, which I understand the frustration. But the dog has now learned when I come to you, you seem to be angry. Why would I come to you again? And it's not that these owners are, are trying to punish their dogs. That's not what I'm saying at all. And I think I, I do understand the frustration. I understand the need to need to bathe your dog. On the other hand, you have to be happy every time your dog comes to you. <laughs> I'm not going to let a dog off leash in a fenced yard if they don't come when called. Like, there are criteria for when those privileges are granted. I'm not going to try to take a dog for a walk around the block with dogs barking at them and kids playing and rabbits and all of the, you know, excitement that is walking in my neighborhood if they can't handle any of those stimuli or all of those stimuli happening when we're in a static position. Because new sense and new tactile experiences and all of that add to the trigger stacking. If your dog can't handle the sound of collar tags jingling without losing his marbles, you have to work on that before you can try to go for a walk. Because, of course, your dog's going to start becoming reactive with other dogs when he hears a collar jingle. So I literally jumped on eBay over the holiday and ordered old retired collared tags. I'll put those on a hand-me-down collar, that worn out old collar, and we will practice jingle, 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 cheese, jingle, 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 mm -hmm. cheese, jingle, 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 cheese. And those dogs will go on to help countless other dogs moving forward. If my dog struggles with looking at the squirrels, we're just going to hang out in the yard and watch the squirrels and be like, oh, yeah, they're really exciting, aren't they? I have a remote control car that we run around the backyard and the dogs have to ignore. So one of the things that I've done too is with, especially with my puppy clients is in here in downtown Granville in the North side of the street is where it's super busy. Cause that's where the ice cream parlor is. And there's, you can go in front of the Granville Inn and you get a few people walking by. You could go in front of the library and there's a nice recessed area where you can sit or you can go on the south side of the street where there's the Chinese restaurant, um, and that's not nearly as busy on that side of the street. So one of the things – or you can go down to Opera House Park and we can sit in there. So one of the things that I do with owners that have puppies is that we will come into Granville, and depending on where we're at, we're either sitting on the steps of the college townhouse or we're sitting on one of the benches – in front of the Granville Inn, and we just sit there and watch the world go by and get food. So that we spend all this time sitting and just watching. We watch all the dogs go by, we watch all the bikes go by, we watch all the kids with their books going to the library, we watch people going into the post office, and we get treats. And we don't go immediately to what I call the gauntlet, which is right in front of the ice cream parlor, 
where everybody goes on a summer evening with their dogs and their kids. And I mean, there's a lot of skills involved with being able to handle standing in the line at Wits to get your ice cream. And so one of the things that I have found is, is the same kind of thing is start small, start someplace where you can watch the world at a distance so that the world is not right on top of you, but you can see the squirrels in the trees across the street. You can see all the strollers in the playground 25 feet away. Right. So, so again, like I think sometimes we dog trainers, we know what to do. We're there to do dog training, right? So we're like, oh, we're doing the dog training and we forget to empower families that dog training and going for a walk are two different things for usually quite a while. I would say that the average puppy that I raise doesn't really go for a walk around the block as just we're going for a walk around the block until they're two. Before then, we are training going for a walk around the block. If I want to go for a walk around the block, I do that separate and then I do the dog training because what they practice is what they're learning. So if you're fussing at your dog and your dog is pulling and they're barking at the neighbors, guess what? That's what they're learning. Everybody wants to do the training exercises. Well, actually, I don't think anybody wants to do training exercises. What they want is for me to have some sort of magic wand that suddenly their dog knows how to walk nicely on a leash. And I'm like, the reality is they don't. And it's a really hard thing to train. I do think that polite leash walking is one of those skills that is excellent for a board and train because trainers like training dogs. So we will spend two weeks or a month working on beautiful leash walking skills and then follow up lessons with the family floating that in. So obviously I'm going to tell you, be careful. Lots of board and train trainers are going to use shock and prong and choke chains and slip leashes. And we're not doing any of that. You want to make sure that you're vetting that trainer to know that they're going to train your dog kindly and that they're going to float in. They're not doing a bunch of aversives, but a training company like mine, we, we do board and trains for polite leash walking all the time because the average family is like, I don't have the bandwidth. And we're honoring that. We're like, great, then we'll do it for you. Dog trainers like that work. We love teaching a dog how to manage all those different exposures and all those different stimuli and be super successful. That fills up someone who does behavior and training for a living. I don't know that it fills up the average family person. There are times that it is totally appropriate to have a professional dog trainer just do the heavy lifting for you and then help transfer those skills that the dog already has back to the family. That is very sound advice. I don't do board and train because I don't really have space to do that. And it's hard to find a good board and train around here. So I'm really glad that you mentioned that you need to vet the trainer because, um, None of the board and trains around here that I know of are ones that I am comfortable recommending because they tend to be all uh, uh, um, adversive trainers. Yeah. And I will say lots of 
lots of positive reinforcement trainers don't offer board and train because that ground has almost been just given to the shock collar trainers. If someone guarantees that they can take their dog, your dog, and in two weeks have them doing polite leash walking, I'm pretty much going to tell you that person is using highly aversive methods with your dog. Absolutely. Absolutely. When we're talking about polite leash walking and puppies, everybody's like, okay, how do we juggle? We need, we have 30 seconds to get them outside and not pulling on the leash. And I'm like, pick them up, put them down and then practice polite leash walking on the way in or use a long line. Like if you don't have a fence, put a 50 foot line on the puppy, open the back door, open the, attach the leash, like open the crate door, attach the leash, let your puppy run outside with no leash tension to potty, run with them, and then attach your six foot leash and practice polite leash walking on the way back in, you know, or set up an X pen, pick the puppy up, set them in an X pen outside in the grass. That's a great idea. So there are ways to do this. It's what dog trainers do when we're raising our dogs. And I, the older I get, the more frustrated I get that dog trainers sometimes tell people to do things that they don't do them. They don't do it that way themselves. When I'm house training puppies, we start on leash going out the front door to eliminate because I want my pup and not pulling. So if that means my puppy doesn't have good leash skills yet, I carry them outside. I set them in the grass and then we do polite leash walking on the, on the way in. Their leash is kept in the refrigerator with the string cheese. Ah, that's a brilliant idea. So that I make it easier for myself. The poop bags are right there with it. So I don't forget. I'm practicing with every single interaction. I walk miles of polite leash walking in my backyard before that dog ever is going for a walk around the block. Because I don't want to build on fragile ground. I want to enjoy decades of walking with my dog. And that's not built in an, in an afternoon. Right. One of the things I tell people, for example, when they want to go to class, and um, some of the best classes are a bit of a haul from here. Um, they're in Columbus and not necessarily out this way. And so I tell people when they start to, to balk a little bit, I'm like, hold on a second. I understand you don't want to drive 35 or 40 minutes to a training class. But on the other hand, it's six to eight weeks out of 10 years of your dog's life. And you're getting your dog in front of really good trainers who are going to have a, you know, a, a sharp eye for any problems that may be coming up. And a puppy class is a good thing for your dog. So you take the puppy class and then you come back and we can work on any particular issues that you have in private training. But remember, you're just talking about once a week for six to eight weeks. Can you do that for your dog to build the foundation that you need to build. So I think maybe if we begin to talk to our owners in terms of not just, you need to do this for two weeks, that seems like a long time, but remind them that if you do this for two weeks and then you do the next thing for two weeks and then the next thing for two weeks and the next thing for two weeks, then in eight weeks out of 10 years of your dog's life, you're going to have a dog whose loosely walking skills are going to be able to be built on much more quickly after that. Because the more we begin to get those base behaviors down, the more we begin to understand what it means to be connect to, to be next to my owner, what it means to be on a leash 
as those skills start to grow, they may start right. out slow, but then you're going to start to have exponential or logarithmic growth. But you keep it in the big perspective as well, which is look for the small victories. Understand you're doing this in small increments of time, which is usually easier for most people. Most people can't carve an hour out of their day, but they can carve five minutes to work on this. So you do that. And then over the perspective is that this is only a few months out of a, 10 years of your dog's life. And if we can help them to understand that, they're going to be more compliant, I think. Well, and some of it even is just tricks of the trade, right? If I have a young, energetic dog, we're probably going to play fetch and do some food scatters before I try to practice polite leash walking. Yes. Or even before, once they've got the skills, before you go walking. One of the things that I will oftentimes do is take the dogs up and let them run around Sugarloaf to get some of the wiggles out. Then we snap on the leashes and go for a walk. Okay. So so one of my favorite tricks, put the... So the dog who has good leash skills, but has a lot of practice of pulling, either leaving the house or coming home, take the dog out, put him in the car, drive to the halfway mark of your walk, and practice walking from the car around the block and back to the car again. You would be stunned how many dogs don't pull after you've done that a few times. It's that they've practiced being lunatics, pulling to and from the house. And so when you put to and from the house in the middle of the walk, they're like, oh, it doesn't fit there. Right. The, uh, there's one other thing that I think that's brilliant. I really like that. It re- reminds me of something else that, that I have told owners. And that is, if, if for, exa- like for example, one of my um, friends lives in, in Washington, D.C., and they live on a very busy street, and it was really scary for their dog to walk out the door because the, the traffic was so great. And I said, well, can you go out? Do you have a back door? Can you go out and get in your car? Or can you get into the neighborhood going out the back? And she said, well, I can get in my car. I said, okay, then drive to a quieter part of the neighborhood and walk your dog there. If the front of the house is that frightening for your dog, we need to be thinking about doing some counter conditioning to that, sitting on the porch and having treats and all this other stuff. We don't need to throw them into all this. And she found that to be really successful, that once the dog then began to get some confidence then she was able to, to help it with um, the scary front door area. The other thing I've also told people is if your dog is reactive in your area or tends to be tends to guard your neighborhood, then drive to another neighborhood. You know, it just, just drive someplace else and walk your dog there. And that's just, it's, it's a way in which you can get some walking in with your dog and then get somebody to help you with the problem you're having in your area. So when I can get a family to go for a walk without the dog, they start to figure out why maybe walking with their dog is so hard for the dog, right? They start to notice that the two dogs next door in the backyard are really ugly at other dogs who walk by, or this one intersection is kind of nerve wracking. They look at the environment differently instead of just being more and more frustrated with their dog. I think we start to recognize like, oh, oh, that no wonder that one section is really hard for the dog. And if that's the case, then like when I go to do a private lesson, we go to that one area and we work on how to smooth that out for that dog. So the dog's overall skill on a walk is pretty good. But when we get to the end of the street, (gasps) 
you know, Casper, the grouchy dog, is behind the fence, trash talking everybody. So we're going to practice and assess what to do there and how to help our dog be successful. So often just staying and letting our dog settle in and learning to do what the deer do, which is to go, oh, well, Casper's behind a fence. It doesn't, yeah, he's yelling, but I don't have to get dragged into it. The dog starts to learn to settle out. And then you're like, you're brilliant. What a good job. Do you think you could do a sit here? Could you do a nose touch? Could you lie down? We're not practicing obedience per se. We're having a conversation with the dog. Like, yes, I know Casper is yelling his fool head off at you, but can you stay in connection with me? For lots of dogs, that's a revelation. When we hurry or when we're telling the dog to ignore whatever the thing is, there I think there's a little bit of a dog going, you don't understand. That dog's yelling at me over there. I'm like, no, I know he's yelling at you. Right. I also think sometimes if we, if we like stop, 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 they're like, well, why are you paying so much attention to it? You know, I think sometimes it's like with kids, it's almost like forbidden fruit, right? Don't touch that. Really? Why can't I touch that? You know, it's so I, I wonder if that works a little bit with dogs, too. So my next lesson, my appointment right after we do this recording is a dog who is dog reactive. The very first skill we're going to work on is handling skills and leash skills for polite leash walking. Because, again, before this dog is reactive to other dogs on a walk, my guess is his leash skills are not great. Right. The other thing I was going to say is also to, I think it's okay for owners to go, you know what? Maybe I don't want to take my dog on a walk. It's okay to not walk your dog. I was thinking yesterday, I was over at my daughter's house and we were going to take all three kids, one of whom in a stroller and two kites and try and fly some kites yesterday. So I brought, I had Zuzu with me, but I realized very quickly that that was just going to add another layer of chaos to this walk that we didn't really need. So as my daughter was getting the stroller out and packing and stuff, I just threw a ball for Zuzu repeatedly in the front yard. And she was happy and content with that. And then I put her away and we went for our walk. And as we were walking, I realized I'm holding the kites. You know, Eva's in the stroller. Another kid's on her scooter. One kid is deciding that he really, really ought to be in the stroller. And he's not. And there was just so much going on. If I had had to try and be dealing with Zuzu as well, it would have been frustrating for her and for me and for everybody else. And then it turns out we get over to where we're flying kites and I look over and a police officer is walking towards us. <laughs> like, are we not supposed to fly kites in this area? I mean, what's going on? He goes, no, there's a rabid raccoon over against that fence over there. And he said, you know, it was out during the day walking across the street, which raccoons don't do. And he said, so I'm thinking it's sick, like maybe rabid. And I was thinking, thank goodness I didn't have Zuzu with me. And having had her, you know, dropped her leash so she could run around the field, last thing I need to do is have my dog encounter a rabid raccoon. So I think sometimes we think in terms of family time that when we want to do family time, then we have this vision of walking with the kids and the stroller and the dog happily being with us. And you know what? That's not the reality. So if you want to take the dog for a walk, take the dog for a walk. But don't try and do too much with everybody because it's just no one's going to be happy or or have a plan right so if i'm going hiking i have to decide am i taking a dog or not which which also entails like are we going to go to eat before or after like how long are we going to be out are there bears in the area like there's you know bigfoot whatever there's all sorts of, like how busy is the trail blah 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 all the charts graphs and logarithms of that but it's also are we going to have enough time on that walk if we're doing a six mile hike 
and the sun's going to be going down and we're going to be in a hurry, that's probably not the right hike to take a dog because I am going to be letting that dog pull or I'm going to be hustling a dog along who's trying to smell where, you know, a deer peed or whatever. So that's not fair to that dog. If I'm going to take a puppy for a walk, if I'm going to take a dog for a walk with the family, I'm probably going to tell Christopher, no matter what I'm doing, you go on with the walk. I'm going to move at the pace the dog can do, which means I'm going to stop and clean up poop. And if the dog is marveling at the kids playing on the play set across the street, we're going to stand and we're going to watch that. You guys go and do your walk so that we're not building bad habits that then we're frustrated with. So often going for a hike means not taking a dog until that dog is seasoned to be able to go for a hike. Because right now the days are short. Right. So I think what I think one of the things that I that some of my owners find enlightening is when I give them permission to say, I don't want to take my dog on this. That's fine. In fact, that's a good thing. Uh, you know, a lot of the time. So it's okay for you to say, this is not a good time for me to take the dog. I will do something with the dog another time or later in the day. It's okay to say, I don't want to include the dog in this because it feels like too much for me. Because part of my responsibility as a, as a trainer is not just to train the dog. I'm there to teach you skills, but also I want to take care of everybody. Because if you're not happy, the dog's not going to be happy. And if the dog's not happy, it's going to be difficult for you to be. So it's part of me is, is trying to help you find the balance in your life so that you will love having a dog in your family, in your life. So you know how sometimes we're like, I just want to go to the grocery store by myself? Yeah, yeah, I do. Okay, that that's the same thing, right? Like that is exactly the same thing. Sometimes I love my dogs. Like I have the best dogs in the whole world. I love them. They're nut jobs, but I love them. They're my nut jobs. I still sometimes need to go for a walk by myself because the walk might be for me to rejuvenate me and I might not get that need met. And I have to set down the guilt of I'm not taking, you know, the pug for a walk. I can choose when I'm done filling me up to then go, do I have another trip around the, the block in me? And do I have the bandwidth to take the dog? So some of it is time of day. Some of it is how busy is it? What what are the hazards in the environment that we're going to be working in? Am I going to be in a hurry? And then just how worn out am I? All of those things feed into this sim- seemingly simple, I just want my dog to walk nicely on a leash. Well, we all want, <laughs> we all want that. But it's like, I would like good work-life balance. Okay, well, none of us have like a three-step plan to make that happen. Not one that anyone can actually do. And again, I think leash walking skills is one of those things that trainers act like, oh, you just do this and this and this, and it'll be great. And then it it's not, it's really, really difficult. It is really, really difficult. So honor that it's difficult. If it's awkward and it takes a lot of time and it frustrates you, you're probably doing it right. Right. Well, the other thing I tell my owners is, you know what? You're going to have great days and you're going to have off days and you have an off day. It's an off day. That's, and there's nothing more or less to it than that, that it's just for whatever reason is not working today. It's not working today. That doesn't mean it's not going to work tomorrow. 
So give yourself some slack there because I got to tell you, not every day is, believe it or not, not every day is Clementine a perfect dog in this household. What? Yeah. I should tell you about her antics over the weekend, over New Year's. It's another great Clementine story. We, um, I can probably tell it in a very short time period. So I'm just going to, just to let you know, okay, we were out for a walk with the dogs. Now we're at our cottage and we're on a private road. So when we're on the private road, we let the dogs off lead to run up and down the road. And, and Zuzu pretty much stays with me. She runs ahead. She comes back. Clementine will go dashing into the woods, but she'll come back down. So I was, and we had the grandkids and the dogs, and we weren't going to go all the way around the lake. We were just going to go down to the bridge and back so we could stay on the private road. So anyway, so we're walking along, and I've got one grand, I got my two grandkids with me, and I hear, suddenly hear the geese in the lake going, quack, 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 quack. And I'm like, oh, Clementine must have chased them. And indeed, I come over the crest of the hill, and I look down, and the geese are taking off into the lake, and there's Clementine swimming after them in the lake. She's halfway across the lake. Now this is a very narrow lake, thank goodness. And I was like, I knew it. I just knew the way they were squawking that Clementine was chasing him. So Brad runs down the hill and he calls to her and tur- and sure enough, she turns around. She comes back. Brad puts her on her leash. She slept for two days. She was so tired. <laughs> You're like, why didn't we think of this before? Yes, well, we have found that swimming does tire her out. She was really invigorated for the rest of the walk, let me tell you. She had a grand time. But when we got back, she crashed. She was the best dog for, like, two days. Like me, um, clumpers are dense. (laughs) (laughs) You go on the clumper Facebook page, and the first thing they say is they are expert and veteran countersurfers, and they are naughty. Everything about them, they're cute, they're funny, they're sweet, but they are naughty dogs. And I told Brad, I said, Tina warned me. The body composition and trying to swim, like, we're not talking about a cigar boat here. We're talking about a garbage barge. Like, swimming would absolutely, like, you should swim her every day. She'd be the best behaved dog on the planet. (laughs) She she loves swimming. And she's, she's actually, she has a pretty, she has pretty good balance in the water. She does, she's not unecked. Um, but yeah, I mean, but she's got these dense little legs. Um, but anyway, so yeah, that's, that's clumbers. I'm just glad, I'm just glad there wasn't ice and that she wasn't stuck under the ice after having jumped in a hole with geese or whatever. Right. Well, it hasn't been warm enough. It's been too, too warm for the lake to ice over. And, and then if it had been um, icy, we probably wouldn't have let her off lead for that very reason. Well, we had when I was a kid, we we used to um, take the dogs up on private land and let them run um, and we could call them off. And you know, they were great. And one of our Doberman pinchers saw ducks on the pond and didn't think <laughs> and ran and leapt to where the ducks were. But the pond was mostly iced over. The ducks were in this tiny little section that was still water. And my mother had to go in after him because he was trapped under the ice. And it was scary. Like That is very scary. I'm a grown woman, and it was terrifying. Um, I was afraid for my mom. I was afraid for the dogs. It it made me realize how a nice walk in the winter with off-leash dogs who come when called, there can still be hazards that are life-threatening that you didn't think about. So- um, probably why I'm not an insurance 
salesman. So, um, you know, I'm glad that that Clemmy was safe while chasing the ducks. Um, I had someone who had to get out a boat to collect their Labrador retriever from the far side of the lake in Gainesville over the weekend because their dog, their lab went out to play fetch with a stick in the lake and just kept pushing the stick further and further out. And they were like, and he's a strong swimmer and a young dog and he had a life vest on, but <laughs> he was like nearly in the adjoining County. So they had to go get their boat and go collect the dog because he kept chasing the same stick all the way, like a donkey and a carrot. Right. We luckily we have a, we have a very small lake. And, and in the summer when I go out on my kayak, um, Zuzu is always in a life preserver because she'll follow me. And so one of the things to do is I'll put a long line hook to her and then to my kayak so that as I'm kayaking, if I feel like she's in distress at all, I can reel her in and hold on to the handle on the back of her harness and, uh, or, you know, strap her to the, the kayak and I can get her in. So I do take precautions, especially in the summer, because Zuzu will spend hours in the water. And if she's going to do that, she has to wear a life preserver because that's the only way I can guarantee that she's going to be, you know, fairly safe. But we don't have a very big lake and it's, it's not particularly deep. But uh, that particular instance, yeah, Clemmy was, was just, was fine. But if there had been ice, she wouldn't have been off lead because we know that she would go after the geese. So with that, a couple of stories about our dogs, some stuff on loose lead walking. What I would say is that for those of you who um, want some more information on loose lead walking, I have a downloadable PDF on my blogs on loose lead walking. And if you would like one of those, all you have to do is email us at feedback at yourfamilydogpodcast.com. And I will make sure you get the link to download that. So thank you very much for joining us again on Your Family Dog. We hope that this has been a useful episode for you. We at least gave you a few hints that might make your life and walking with your dog a little easier. And we look forward to having you next time on Your Family Dog. Thanks for listening to Your Family Dog. Got questions? Interesting ideas? Visit www.yourfamilydogpodcast.com to share your thoughts.